Welcome to the Antioch Podcast. We're a justice-minded Christian church in beautiful Bend, Oregon, seeking and celebrating the reconciliation of all things. May the word of Christ dwell in you fully and give you peace. Scripture reading today is from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in according with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, I think my Brittany microphone's not working, so we're going to have to go handheld. Should I get, Kip, should I just take this off? Okay. Hold, please. (laughs) All right. Good morning, Antioch. How we doing? Well, my name is Sean, and I'm one of the pastors on our incredible team here, if you don't know me. And actually, just this last week, our team got away for a few days on a staff retreat where we planned and dreamed and prayed and uh, ate far too much food together. Uh, But it was a fantastic time where we really got to celebrate that we get to serve such a wonderful congregation and that we get to do it with people that we like, which is, you know, not that often the case. Um, And so I'm really glad to be a part of this team. We're really glad to be serving this church. And I'm looking forward to continuing on in our series this morning called The Work of the People. As you know, we are looking at many of the different elements that go into each of our weekly gatherings on Sunday morning, talking about their significance to our formation. 
part of what we've learned so far is that our liturgies form us, whether we know it or not, that the way we worship becomes the way we believe and that there is no formation without repetition. Liturgy isn't just something we do. Liturgy does something to us. And we believe that the rest of our lives can be different because of how we worship God together and are formed in this place each week. So far, we've looked at why we sing, our declaration of worship, our prayer of confession. Last week, Pete talked about the prayers of the people. Again, these are different elements of our liturgy that make up the symphony that we experience on a weekly basis. We've seen a little bit of this thus far, but our liturgy, again, it's more than sermons and singings, uh, than sermons and singing. Uh, If that were the case, we would think that those two things comprise the entirety of the Christian life. That's why our liturgies involve reading, hearing, praying, confessing, eating, drinking, declaring, and giving and serving. As you can see from uh, the slide earlier, the topic for discussion this morning is those two elements, giving and serving. These are everyone's favorite things to talk about, I know. So uh, these components, they're not, you know, a literal part of our order of service if you look at the card and the seat, but they are a big part of what happens here every week in our formation. So we will explore both of those things today. Our text today comes from the book of Romans, and we're here in chapter 12. Thanks, Medell, for reading it for us. And I bet many of these verses sound familiar to you. This passage that we have today, it serves as almost a summary or a reminder of the book of Romans actually in the preceding 11 chapters. We know that the author of the book of Romans is the Apostle Paul, and he is writing to the Roman believers because he wants to clarify what this gospel is that he's been preaching, but he doesn't know them very well himself. He tells them he wants to continue on his mission to Spain, and he's hoping to, yes, clarify the gospel, but also get their support. He wants their support as he continues his travels and continues to share that gospel. So in these preceding 11 chapters, we actually see many of the same themes that are in our text today. Paul writes an apologetic concerning the presence, the work, and the calling that God puts on people. He challenges them to live counterculturally. Uh, he challenges them to move from a life led by the flesh to one led by the Spirit. Again, this is the book of Romans, so it's written to the believers in Rome, the center of the Roman Empire. And Paul calls these Christian communities not to be swayed by the dominant political ideologies that surround them, but instead to choose a life that is, li- that is based on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. As you can imagine, it's not super applicable today. I wish the Bible was more relevant, right? So, uh, while the book of Romans certainly has lots of doctrinal elements to it, I think what stands out to me is how much Paul challenges these Roman believers to put off the ways of the world and to choose a life that is governed by the triune God in every single area. It doesn't matter what area they choose, cultural, ethnic, gender, political, economic, social, geographical, for Paul, all of these things must be transformed through the grace that comes from Jesus. That's the context of where we've gone thus far in Romans, and we'll see that in our text today. Verse 1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Our entire series, again, is about how we worship, how that influences what we believe. And what we see here from Paul is he just tells us what true and proper worship is. It's offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. 
And this phrase, living sacrifice, would certainly have sounded peculiar to these first century individuals because they were familiar with the sacrifice of another kind. Uh, the sacrifices they made did not end up living. Uh, they were dead. Uh, so Paul is distinguishing between the sacrifices of old and this new kind of sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice that ends in death, but the Christian self-offering is actually all about coming alive as the old self is put to death. It's an ongoing sacrifice that demands everything that you have, own, and are in perpetuity. In verse 2, Paul tells the listeners that to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Uh, and this, I don't know if you've experienced, this is one of those verses that you tend to see a lot of times like by itself, totally removed from all the other uh, contexts. Uh, maybe someone might say it's a life verse or have a tattoo or you're looking for advice from someone. They just say, oh, just don't conform to the pattern of this world. It's all you got to do. Just transform your mind. And I'm like, how? <laughs> that sounds kind of simple. Uh, you know, just don't be conformed. All right. Uh, all right. Yeah, yeah, you're a Christian now, so make sure you aren't conformed. Just transform your mind. Cool, cool, cool. So, like, what does that mean? Because, you know, it was hard for the first century believers in Rome. It's, it's hard for us to resist the ways of the world. This somewhat kind of innocuous line from Paul, to me, it seems like a tall order because we live in the world. <laughs> this is where we live, in the world. The world has its grip on us, both for better and for worse. But again, this is where the context of that previous portion of Romans comes in, along with verse 1. Paul's telling us that there are two different ways to live with the world as our guide or the spirit as our guide. Those are the two choices that we have. That if we are truly to live in, in the age to come, the one that has already begun in Jesus, we must live as if we are a new creation, which isn't easy because the world fights at every stage to convince us to take the easy way out, to only look out for ourselves, or even just to look the other way rather than glimpse the injustice, hatred, oppression, immorality, greed, and violence that surround us. The world tries to occupy us with things that do not matter. And so, for how do we shake off the effects of the world, I think Paul's already told us in verse 1 that we must offer our bodies and our whole selves as living sacrifices, that this is the antidote to the ways of the world. This is what we juxtapose the two lives with. This is how we live a life of worship. This is how we are countercultural when we commit our entire ways and beings to the life of Jesus by offering up our entire selves as living sacrifices. And it's this idea of selflessness, this idea of humility that, that Paul goes on to describe. Verse 3 says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. And this is just a fancy way of saying be humble, right? That you are in the same boat as everyone else. It's a great boat, you know? It's a nice cruise ship. You know, you're loved, you got, all, you got all you need, you're special, you got a room with a balcony, right? But you're not so special that your life shouldn't be marked by selflessness and humility. Again, though, that doesn't mean there's a one-size-fits-all approach. We see here in the next few verses that Paul uses one of his favorite metaphors, one that he uses in several of his different letters. Verses 4 and 5, they say, For just as each of us has one body with many members... And these members do not have all the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, 
and each member belongs to all the others. Again, Paul says this other places, 1 Corinthians 12, about how the body works together, that the foot shouldn't say to the hand, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, or the ear to the eye, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. He says the body would be useless if it were all one part. All eyes would have no sense of smell. All ears would have no sense of hearing. That each body part cannot say to the other, I don't need you because we are in this together. God has put the body together to show us that we need one another. And so in the context of service with this body imagery in mind, Paul says this. He says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We see here that diversity and not uniformity is the evidence of God's handiwork that the body is beautifully diverse and that we are given different gifts of grace to serve the body and to fulfill our unique calling within it. And then Paul concludes this passage. He wraps it all up saying, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. For Paul, this, this is what love looks like in action. This is the family of God, or in this metaphor, the body of Christ on display, that this is what true community looks like. I think one of the tensions that's present in this text is that there is a sense that it's almost like a, you know, a works righteousness type thing, that if I, I have this call to be a living sacrifice or to not be conformed to this world, I've been given a gift, I, I, I better do it. I must do these things in order to experience or to achieve salvation. But I, I don't think that's what Paul is doing here. He's, he's not saying that giving and serving or any of these things are a means of salvation, but he's saying that these are natural outflows of the salvation that you've already received. In theological terms, Paul is arguing that those who are in Christ Jesus have already been justified. This is the work of sanctification. This is what growing in Christ must look like. Again, this isn't about earning it, but it's because we already have it. In Philippians, uh, Paul describes it as living up to what we have already attained. If you look back at how this passage begins in verse 1, Paul says, in view of God's mercy. And then he goes on to say all of these different things. It's the mercy that you have already received, not the mercy that you are trying to earn. That this is our driving force towards living life in the body of Christ and in the family of God. That our worship is about sacrifice. We must live in humility, that love must be sincere, that true and proper worship contains a measure of being devoted to the other members of the body as we practice hospitality. And in the context of today's theme, that we give and serve with that same measure of devotion that Paul was talking about. 
all throughout Scripture, giving is a theme that we see time and time again. It's something that's a part of the life of the faithful because God models it for us. Whether it's in God's creating act out of abundance, Jesus' giving of himself, we are able to give because God first gave to us. In the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talks about giving, he says this line, he says, when you give. Don't do it in private, all these other things, but when you give. Not if you give, but when you give. There's this expectation that those who are faithful will give. He says to do it like this because it is an essential part of our worship. Because when we give, we acknowledge that everything belongs to God and that anything we have is because a generous God has already given it to us. And we give back to God. We acknowledge Him as the source of our gifts, and we, we declare our worship of Him, even with our resources. We declare that He is more important than anything else. And what's beautiful about giving is that God takes our gifts and resources, and He multiplies them to not only advance the work of His kingdom, but to form Christ in us. That the more that we open our hands and we release our resources, we open ourselves to the Spirit to move us in new waves of generosity. And giving is something that we do every week here at Antioch as a part of our worship. At the end of every service, after we've gathered, after we've listened, after we've communed, and before we are fully sent into the world, we are given the opportunity to give to what God is doing in and through our little outpost of God's kingdom here at Antioch. And we make space for giving each and every week because we think it's important, because we think that it's a part of our worship, because it forms us, because it stretches us, because it challenges us to model Jesus. And tonight, if you come to our family meeting, you'll hear Pastor, give, or Pastor Kip give an update about what we do when we, when we give and, and what that looks like for our expenses and, and everything that's going on here. But the reality is this. I, I asked Kip for some info, because he knows these things, right? Something like 72 or 73% of all the giving that we receive here at Antioch comes online or digitally. So maybe uh, many of you do that. So there is uh, an efficiency argument to be made that we don't need that white box out there. We don't need to spend time every week and say, hey, we're going to pause for the spiritual practice of giving. But there is no formation without repetition. And it's vital that we mark the importance of giving each and every time we gather because it matters. It doesn't matter if we get up to 99% of online giving. We are going to say it every week because it is a part of our work of worship. And we see this through line of serving throughout Scripture as well. Again, most pointedly in the life and love of Jesus Christ. Because if we look at the big picture of Jesus' life and death, we see that he didn't serve only once in a while. He served all the time. He sacrificed for others. He devoted himself to the needs and healing of others. He disregarded his own status, his own lofty status, his own interests. He put in effort to make things better for whole persons. He even willingly subjected himself to the sins of others, yours and mine. And he served this way his entire life. In a consistently incarnational posture, Jesus met others where they were and with what they needed. And whether it's Jesus declaring that the last shall be first, Paul's words here or in other places like the book of Galatians, we are called to serve one another. Those we might describe as our family, our neighbors, or actually anyone at all 
in love and with love. Kyle David Bennett is an author. He wrote a great book called Practices of Love, and the kind of subtitle on that is Spiritual Disciplines for the Life of the World. It's a great book. Just check it out. But uh, Bennett, he takes a different look than your kind of classic book looking at spiritual discipline, something like Richard Foster, which is great. But uh, what Bennett, kind of his angle is that he wants to look at how practicing spiritual disciplines can and should benefit the lives of those around us and the rest of the world. That typically when we talk about disciplines or formation, we kind of think about the, the vertical relationship with God. But what he wants to focus on is the horizontal. How is the world impacted because we are doing these practices? And Bennett says this. He says, at the heart of service is the idea that our time, energy, hands, and goals belong to God. He is the creator, redeemer, and restorer of these two. God calls and commands us to steward these gifts in ways that lift up our neighbor, express love, and heal and harmonize our world. He calls us to use our hands and work for his purposes. This is why serving is such an essential part of what we do when we gather here each week. It forms us and it lifts up our neighbor in such a way that they can experience formation themselves. And I, I did some research. I talked to some of the other folks on staff. And on a typical Sunday, do you know how many people are serving around here at Antioch? How many different serving roles? Go ahead, shout out a number. 35, 40, 22, okay. The correct answer is 51. 51. That's Awesome. There are people on the hospitality teams. There are people back in the booth, in the band, in kids' classrooms, helping with check-ins, setting up coffee, reading scripture, serving communion, praying, blowing leaves. You know, there are all sorts of different things that are going on. There are 51 between these two gatherings serving, and that's a big number. That doesn't even include the handful of people during the week that help set up this space. You saw a prayer calendar on your seat this week. There are Antioch youth volunteers on Wednesday nights. I think there are 15 of them and half of them serve every week. There are dozens of people hosting groups, facilitating connections and conversations throughout the week. For many of you, you, you know this because that's you, right? But in the best way, this type of serving, it's ordinary. It's really not that heroic. It's really not often grand gestures. It's ordinary people helping ordinary people as they travel through life together. It's family serving family, it's neighbor helping neighbor. It's what happens when love is sincere, when we're devoted to one another in love, when we honor one another above ourselves. That's how we practice hospitality. Because most of the time, there isn't some grand reward for service. You know, we don't have like a Servant of the Month award here at Antioch, kind of give out a new car every month. I'm sorry. We're working on it though, okay? Stay tuned, yeah. Um, but the reward is the pleasure of loving another human and living and being in a way that witnesses to the self-sacrificial love that is found in Jesus. And that's corny to say, I know, but it's true. It's true. And so with all of that in mind, a few kind of closing thoughts here on giving and serving and some practical next steps. First, the words that we use, giving and serving, are very intentional. So we say give rather than donate, not because donating is bad. I'm sure that you all donate to many great causes. But for us, giving implies relationship and generosity and sacrifice, that there's a sense that 
when we give, we feel it. You know, it comes out of relation. I, I feel as if I give. And this is kind of a silly thing to say, and so this is not amazing biblical exegesis, but we don't say that God donated his one and only son, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? He gave him because it cost God something, and it cost us something when we give. It costs us something. It, it, it is meaningful. There's a sacrificial element to it. And it's the same thing for why we say serving instead of volunteering. Again, volunteering is not bad. I'm sure that you volunteer in many great organizations, whatever it is. But there's a sense that this word volunteering is what we do when we have extra time or when there's something that's convenient for us to get involved with. Serving is what we are called by Christ to do, to model his servant life. And again, it comes with sacrifice. It's giving of yourself, even when you don't want to or when it may ask more than you want to give or do. You know, for both of these distinctions, there is a next level that comes beyond some of the more casual words like donate or volunteer. They're, they're indicative of the serious nature of these things. Like for example, you know, I would never say I need to go home and babysit Penny, right? She's my kid. I need to go parent her. I need to go be her dad. I don't go home and babysit my kid, right? You know, it, it, it's, there's something much deeper in challenge. Baby, I love babysitters for the record, but, but for me, as a parent, there's something much more deeper and challenging than just watching my kid for a few hours, right? And it's the same way with giving and serving. That is this deeper level to it. So when it comes to giving, here's something that might get me in trouble with Kip. Uh, that's my disclaimer. Sorry, Kip. Um, <laughs> Just for a moment, I want you to imagine as if I am speaking to you individually. Not in like a weird way, but just imagine, okay? Our church doesn't need your money. Really, our church doesn't need your money. Kip, I'm sorry, but, you know, and again, if you are, you're all intelligent people, I know that. So, of course, you know that if everyone took that statement seriously, we would struggle, right, to survive here, right? We would be in trouble. But what I mean is the church doesn't need your money, but you do need to give. Not for us, not for our sake, but for yours, for your own formation. And again, of course, we need resources to function. We trust that God will provide those resources, but more than anything in a message about giving, the important thing is that you give because of how it shapes here. That's what matters, is that giving shapes you. We think it's great to support what we're doing here at Antioch, but really, if this is not going to help you do it, go give someplace else. But give, because it matters to your own formation. It shapes who you are. As this whole series is, is related to our practice of formation, uh, we say that we move from ignorance to awareness as we are formed into the image of Christ. We see that giving, it moves us towards an awareness of our dependence on God that everything that we have comes from him. It, it takes us from the ignorance of believing what we have is our own and based on all of our own efforts into an awareness of God's provision for us. And in a similar way, you probably haven't heard this from the pulpit before, our church doesn't need you to serve. Some of you people are new and you're like, these folks are crazy. Um, again, 
Our church doesn't need you to serve, but you need you to serve. Our church doesn't need you to serve. You need you to serve. If church is a classroom where God is discipling his people into the image of Christ, this is one of those active parts where we get to practice it, that we get to be hands-on. Because the truth is our community fits into the metaphor of the body that Paul so frequently talks about, and we hope that you'll play your part. We really do. We want you to serve. Again, we'd love for you to serve here. If there is another place where that is going to happen, this be more influential for your formation. Do it there, but you need to serve as a part of your formation. Serving moves us from ignorance to awareness as we become aware of our connection to one another and that we're in this together. It moves us from the ignorance of individualism to the awareness of being a part of God's family. It shows us that our formation is tied to one another. That corporately, yes, we, we do need you to play your part in giving and serving as we all seek to play our part together in God's big kingdom in reconciling work. So if you aren't currently giving, maybe you would consider starting, seeing how it changes you, how it reorients your priorities, how it might challenge you towards selflessness. That's what it does in me. Or maybe... You've given in the past, and the challenge for you is to begin giving regularly or or to begin giving in a way that you feel it. It's the same thing for serving, right? If you aren't currently serving, maybe that you would consider finding a place to serve. We have all different types of teams and places to serve. It could be in a classroom with Antioch kids. It might be on stage with the band. It could be reading scripture. It could be serving communion, which, as an aside, to me is like the best bang for your buck, serving-wise, right? It's like, just a couple minutes, super powerful. I'm just saying, supply and demand or whatever, it's, it's a good spot. Um, it could be back in the booth. It could be leading a group. It could be during the week. It could be something that you are gifted with that we don't know you're gifted with, and you want to find a way to use those gifts here at Antioch. If any of those might be you, grab a connection card, put your name on it, check the box for serving. One of our pastors will connect with you, help you find the right spot. This is not a one-size-fits-all. There are many parts of the body. We want you to use the gifts that God has given you and you alone as you are formed in your practice of service in this place. And finally, and I think maybe most importantly, one of the themes throughout this series that we have discussed is this quote from James K.A. Smith, I said a couple weeks ago, that how we practice capital L liturgy in this place becomes how we practice small L liturgy you know, throughout the rest of the week, that how we are formed here shapes who we are out there. And I think that's especially true with giving and serving. Again, we hope that if you call Antioch your home that you would give and give regularly and serve and serve regularly to what God is doing here. But beyond that, we hope that when you give here, you become more generous in the rest of your life. That if you are able, that that might mean financially supporting other great causes and organizations that are working towards building God's kingdom. Hopefully it means you just become a more generous person beyond even finances or gifts. That you are generous in giving grace and empathy and compassion because you've got to experience generosity here. That you are generous in your encouragement. That you are generous in your love for others. That you're a generous tipper. That you pay your babysitters well, right? That your life becomes marked by generosity because of how you've given in this place. 
And it's the same thing for serving. Our hope is that when you serve here, you experience being formed into the image of Christ. You see how you are helping in the formation of others. You might be helping a, you know, a five-year-old with an art project or opening the door for someone with a warm hello, brewing coffee to keep people awake during a long sermon, right? You know, these are things that are helpful. But beyond that, we hope that when you serve here, you open yourself up to opportunities to serve others when you leave this place. We want you to serve other great organizations. There's so many here in Bend that, you, that we love. We want you to serve people that you witness to the world the sacrificial love of Jesus, that you take on the posture of being a servant in your relationship with your spouse or your family at home, at work, and in the community. That might mean serving on school boards or you know, organizing the team gifts for the soccer coach. But whatever it is that your life would be marked by service, because of how you've served here. Because the world will see that you're different. That as you give here, which changes how you give out there, the world will see people giving generously for nothing in return, and they will wonder why. That people will see you volunteer for the task that no one wants to do at work, and they will wonder why are they doing that. They'll see you serving without grumbling, and they'll wonder why. Or even in this place, the, when, when we see men and women serving together equally, and then we model that in the rest of our lives, the world will see that out there, that our time together here changes who you are out there. It lets the world know about a different kind of kingdom that's going on. And so just as you would embody the other elements of our time together on Sunday, our hope is that you would embody the traits of generosity and service every single day. So Antioch family, may we be a people who give and serve not out of guilt or expectation, but in view of God's mercy and the overflow of love that we have already experienced from God. And may this be a part of our formation and the formation of those we encounter every single day. Amen. Pastor Amy is going to come up and lead us through the practice of communion.